This is Sports Talk with Phil Cordblue, Chris Bergen, and Pat Daniel. Sports Talk is heard across the state on radio affiliates of the Sports Talk Media Network and is streaming live on SportsTalkSE.com as well as Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. The South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number to call in is 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now, here are Phil, Chris, and Pat with tonight's edition of Sports Talk. And good evening, everybody. Welcome into Sports Talk, Sports Talk Media Network. Big, 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 big Thursday edition for you here. Coming from the Dave & Buster Studios in Columbia, Phil Kornblut, Pat Daniel here. Chris Bergen joining us momentarily from up at James Madison. We're Coastal Carolina taking on the Dukes tonight. Busy, busy day. The Panthers have their new coach. We'll get Pat's spin on that. Pat being the... uh, the Panther devotee that he is. I happen to like it. I happen to like Frank Reich. I, you know, coaches get fired from certain jobs. I thought he did a good job with the Colts for the most part. Um, I think that's a good hire. The guy's got a nice background. He was a good uh, backup quarterback most of his career in the NFL. Um, Known for that huge uh, come-from-behind playoff win way, way back with the Bills. So, interesting hire. I think a good hire from that standpoint. But, of course, the head coach now, you know, who does he hire? Who runs his offense? Does he run his offense? Does he call his plays? Does he bring in somebody who runs his defense, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, so, we'll see what happens there. But the Panthers have filled their head coaching position. Uh, Gamecock basketball last night. You know, competitive with Florida for the first 20 minutes. Not competitive with Florida for the final 20 minutes. Um, you know, they got down to single day they, as they were down eight, and then it, they trailed by nine, and then Florida hit them with a run, took it up to 20, and uh, they never could get it under single digits the, the rest of the way. They pretty much trailed by double digits the entire second half. Um, but there's some positives that come out of it. Number one, it looked like uh, they played hard. Uh, they went after it on the boards. They actually uh, out-rebounded Florida last night. What hurt them was the turnovers and block shots. 24 possessions where you get nothing because of a turnover or a block shot. Those are just empty possessions. And uh, and Florida took advantage of those possessions, of those turnovers, of those block shots. Uh, Florida had 21 fast-break points. i got to believe a good bit of that came off of those turnovers and block shots. And uh, offensively, G.G. Jackson – had another a good night for the Gamecocks. He had another double-double, so he continues to, uh, you know, last few games uh, playing at a pretty high level. Uh, he ended up with uh, 20 points on the night, and he had uh, 10 rebounds. Uh, how about Josh Gray? 21 minutes, career high, 11 points, career high, 13 rebounds. So, you know, maybe you're starting to get something out of him that's been in there, and it's slowly being developed a big man that can give you something. And uh, and, he, and he pretty much stayed out of foul trouble. He had three. Having a Hayden Brown get into early foul trouble did not help. He picked up three fouls early. Played He only played nine minutes the entire game. He ended up fouling out and played just nine minutes. That's He had two points. So that hurts uh, for the Gamecocks. But um, didn't shoot it particularly well. They're not a good shooting team. Um, missed eight free throws, only five three-pointers. Castleton had a big game once again for Florida. He's just a darn good player. 18 points. He had four blocks. He had three rebounds. He had three assists. 
uh, in only 22 minutes. So uh, he can do a little bit of everything. So another loss for the Gamecocks. And now they go to Georgia, a team that uh, they can maybe play with in Athens and be competitive with. That's all you can ask for right now with this Gamecock basketball team is just try and be competitive. Lamont Paris has just got to try to hold it together as best as possible through this season, probably figuring that he's going to lose Gigi Jackson after this season, I would think. I think the way Gigi Jackson's going right now, the pros have to like him. I mean, the pros don't care about your team's record. They want to see what you look like uh, individually, and he's able to, without much help, he's able to put up some pretty good numbers. So sounds like he's being looked at as a top 10 kind of pick right now. So you got to expect him to uh, move on, which won't necessarily be a bad thing for the program. Yes, it was great to have him for the one year, sort of like Anthony Edwards at Georgia. Great to have him. They went 16-16 and 16 in his one year. I don't think the Gamecocks are going to sniff the 500 mark. But you move on with less heralded players, but maybe a more cohesive group that works together. And Lamont Paris builds his roster in his image. Uh, we shall see what happens there. Women's basketball tonight got a huge one, Tennessee and Connecticut. And, um, you know, the followers of women's basketball or basketball in general will be paying attention to that one, uh, including around here because South Carolina still is to play both of those teams in their upcoming uh, schedule. Uh, I mentioned Coastal Carolina on the road tonight at James Madison. Let's welcome in Chris Bergen, who's left the friendly confines of the Berkey Palace in beautiful Sardis <laughs> and is up in Harrisonburg, Virginia, where it's been Shenandoah snowing Valley. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful part of the country. If you've never traveled up here in the northern Virginia and Shenandoah Valley, it's a lovely part of the uh, country, and they've got a good basketball team to come and watch because they are fifth in the country in scoring. So Coastal's defense is going to be tested tremendously here tonight against a, a good James Madison team who came in and sort of uh, flexed their muscle when they came into the uh, Sun Belt in football this past fall. Actually won the East Division. They couldn't qualify for the uh, for the bowl or for the uh, championship game because they were ineligible transitioning from FCS. But they actually won the tiebreaker with Coastal. So theoretically, they won the division. Coastal represented the division. And so uh, James Madison making its presence known in the uh, Sun Belt in a relatively short period of time. Anybody on JMU that you have to be aware of? A uh, young man named Vado Morse. Uh, he's their leading scorer. They actually have about four guys who average in double figures, so they spread it around pretty well. But uh, Vado Morse is uh, probably the guy to keep an eye on. He's averaging uh, 13 points a ball game. But the uh, key for them, not just their ability to score, also, their ability to steal the basketball away from you. They are second in the country in steals per game just behind Missouri. Who you may remember Coastal played back in November. Missouri had 16 steals in that ball game. Coastal can't afford to turn it over that many times via the steal and hope to have a chance here tonight. You think the uh, the Shauna Clears are, are pretty angry after what happened with Chicago State? You think they've kind of got their mind right going into this one? Gosh, you would certainly hope so. If that game did not square their mindset, uh, certainly just looking at James Madison should. And, Phil, ironically enough, if you uh, happen to see the score last night, I was kind of following along just to see what might happen. Chicago State actually had a double-digit lead on the road at Stanford in the uh, second half and couldn't hold it. They ultimately lost to Stanford. But I'm, I'm not sure if they gained a bunch of confidence, certainly gained some. If they're with their win on Monday night in, in Conway, and they almost uh, went back to back after having not won a road game in 22 tries, they almost went back to back and took down 
not just a mid-major, but also a high-major in the process. But uh, I'm, I'm hoping Coastal will come out with a, a much better effort. If not, they're in danger of getting blown off the floor by this team because, again, they're averaging over 80 points a ball game. They lead the uh, Sun Belt in scoring, so they can get it up and down the floor in a hurry. And they actually know their head coach pretty well, uh, Mark Byanton, who hmm. was uh, – you, you'll re remember that name from the uh, College of Charleston. And yep. also uh, having worked in, inside the league at Georgia Southern, he's now in his third season here. So uh, he's had a lot of success. He's actually 5-1 and one in his career against Coastal. So he's had some success against Cliff Ellis and the Chanticleers. All right. Looks like um, only other game of note tonight for us in the state, Clemson women playing Georgia Tech tonight. That game is in Atlanta. So we got Coastal men at James Madison. Clemson women, Georgia Tech, and I think that's it for our basketball slate tonight. Of course, plenty of it coming up on Saturday. Uh, we have uh, USC getting another football commitment today. Elijah Caldwell, fine-looking receiver from Northwestern, Shrine Bowler, announced his commitment to the Gamecocks about, oh, 115 or so, I think it was. He put it out on Twitter. And we'll talk more about him and recruiting coming up a little bit later on. Also, an update on Nick Harbor. Spoke to his dad today after the meeting last night with South Carolina. I don't know what he's going to do. But if you listen to the dad and you take the dad's words to heart and how he feels, apparently, and how the mom feels, apparently. Just now, look, he's talking to a guy from South Carolina. And that focus is on South Carolina when I talk to him, but boy, they love the Gamecocks. He loves the Gamecocks. When I'm talking they, he, I'm talking about the dad. I don't know about the player. I've never talked to Nicholas, but the dad loves South Carolina, loves Shane Beamer. The mom loves Beamer, loves the dog, Boomer. Can't say enough about Boomer the dog. They just have got a tremendous, tremendous personal relationship. Now, is that going to be enough? Uh, does the young man feel the same way? This would be, you know, one of those rare signees, Chris and Pat. I mean, true major difference maker, I would think. Whether he plays tight end or defensive end, he has said he wants to play tight end in college to help him staying in shape with his sprinting and track. And so tight end kind of, I guess, figures in more along those lines. But Look, tight ends have a huge, huge impact these days on offenses. Just look at uh, Bowers at Georgia. And I can see this young man with his size and his speed playing tight end with uh, Spencer Rattler at South Carolina and just destroying defenses down the field if he ends up at South Carolina. Well, it's a shame that uh, Shane Beamer isn't recruiting his father because I read your story today and I got the same reaction, Phil. He would sign with South Carolina yesterday, yeah. it seems like, but whether or not his son does, is he in the same you, – you talked about sort of program-changing type signee. I mean, is this a Jadavion Clowney, Marcus Lattimore, Stephon Gilmore type guy that would totally elevate the program? I would say – you know, it's harder – correct me if you think I'm wrong, either one of you – is it harder for tight ends to have that kind of impact versus a defensive end or a running back? Um, maybe in today's offense, and because he's so versatile, because he can play attached, he can split out, he can play a number of different ways there, you know, maybe they do have that kind of impact. But, you know, Clowney was like on defense what a Trevor Lawrence and a Deshaun Watson were to Clemson on offense, right. a definite generational player, a definite game changer because you had to account for him if you're an offensive coordinator 
and an offensive line coach, you had to account for him every snap. Where is Clowney? How are we going to block him? Because he could run you down from anywhere. And, you know, Harbor looks extremely dangerous as a defensive player as well. But he wants to play on the offense because of the track part of that and being in the proper condition for track. But I could see him being a devastating weapon on offense as a tight end, making catches and then turning on that speed. Sort of like a um, Winslow was yeah. back in college and then with in, in the NFL. Um, the the original Winslow, not the, mm-hmm. yeah. not the son, but the original Kellen one. Senior. Yeah. yeah, Kellen Sr. But yeah. Y- you look at how tight ends are being utilized in the NFL right now, Phil, and I'm not so sure San Francisco is in the uh, championship mm-hmm. game this weekend if not yep. for George Kittle. Yep. I mean, he is a difference maker for sure. And I think the college game, because of the spread attack now, you can utilize a H-back or a tight end and basically turn him into your slaughter fourth wide receiver. I think that position is just as dangerous as any other on the field. And South Carolina has tried to utilize that tight end ever since Beamer took over. And I would imagine that will sim- be the similar fate for the offense when when they bring in you know Dowell Loggins and he starts running the offense because if not, I can't imagine Harbor would be listening to them anymore. Yeah, absolutely. But they've done everything they can do. Uh, they've laid it out. They've done all the visiting, the calling, the uh, whatever you have to do. They've gone over the top with this guy from the standpoint of showing him that they want him and their family and all that. Now, do they have the pedigree of a Michigan, of a um, – Oregon, of a um, uh, Miami, you know, old Miami. Do they have that pedigree? Uh, They do. You know, Maryland's not the threat from a pedigree standpoint, but they're the threat because they're right across the street. You know, as Mr. Harbor has said, he can walk to the Maryland campus. They go over to basketball games all the time. He hangs out there. So Maryland is that close, you know. So he's got the backyard selection. He's got the selection long way from home in Oregon. And the track at Oregon is going to be very important, of course. And who wouldn't be blown away by what they have out there in track? I mean, their track facilities are second to none. Um, and then you got, of course, the winningest program ever in Michigan calling on you. And then there is um, there's Miami, which, you know, flash and dash. And then there's the Gamecocks, which is um, love and homey and family and we're climbing sort of thing. So that's kind of how you lay it out. That's kind of how you look at the five finalists for them right now. It all depends on, um, you know, where is buttons being pushed, you know, the most. So, I mean, I would think it was good news that Shane Beamer got the final visit yesterday of the head coaches that came through. But is it bad news for the Gamecocks and the other programs that are recruiting him that Oregon gets the final official visit before recruiting is shut down on Sunday prior to uh, signing day next week? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they get the last chance to spend quality time with him. And again, you got Nike out there. You know how big he is in the track. And Oregon's got the greatest track facility in the country. They host all the NCAA championships, the Olympic trials, where they always held, University of Oregon. Steve Prefontaine and all the other great track people to come through that program. That's big. That cannot be diminished. So we'll have to wait and see. Have to wait and see how it plays out. You know, and one advantage that South Carolina does have, it may not have the Oregon pedigree, but Curtis Frank can sell his program as one of the top track and field programs in the country as well. Oh, yeah, and he's one of the top coaches, and Mm -hmm. he's he's produced national championships as a, a team with the women and some individual. But, you know, again, I've seen, yeah. I've seen pictures. I've seen pictures of the Oregon 
facility out there, and it's it's mind-blowing what, what they have. Real quick before we hit the break, your take on Frank Reich to the Panthers. I would disagree from one perspective about you setting it up, and I think he could be a good hire. I'm just in the camp that I watched how the Panthers responded after Matt Rule was kicked to the curb and Steve Wilkes took over in the interim, and they did not have Christian McCaffrey. We're still dealing with the changing rotation at quarterback and how hard those guys played for Steve Wilkes. Now, when we had Corey Miller on during the football season while this was unfolding, I actually asked him, do you think Steve Wilkes deserves this shot because of how hard those guys are playing for him? And Corey said that's not how the NFL works, and I think we saw that today. That's who David Tepper wanted was Frank Reich. And I don't know that it's necessarily a bad hire just on the surface, but, Phil, I'm I'm sort of, especially from the Panthers, perspective just watching they got within a game of winning what was a putrid NFC South honestly but still they had a shot to go to the playoffs and I'm not sure anybody would have believed that when Christian McCaffrey was traded out to San Francisco and I think that's all because of the job that Steve Wilkes did to rally that team together and get them to play hard and then he's basically said thanks but no thanks and I can't imagine he's going to stay on Frank Reich's staff that would be an interesting maneuver if Reich's able to hang on to him I will say this though from the Panthers perspective it is the first head coach that they have brought in with an offensive background and mindset. And maybe that's what they need. And maybe that's how David Tepper approached it. I need somebody who can put points on the board. And certainly Frank Reich is as good a developer of quarterbacks in an offense as anybody they could find. Mm -hmm. But I was in the camp that I I was hoping Steve Wilkes would get the opportunity just because of the way the Panthers played the back half of the season this year. But we'll see. Sure. And, Chris, just to help you out there, you you probably have not seen it while covering the ball game there. It has now been reported. I saw Joe Person say this first that he said, quote, Panthers thought it would be weird asking Steve Wilkes about potentially taking a position on Frank Reich's staff and vice versa because both were interviewed as head coaching candidates. In other words, they are acknowledging that Steve Wilkes will not, will officially not be a part of the staff moving forward in Carolina. And then also seeing a report stemming from that, that the Falcons are attempting to reach out and looks uh, of, of bringing in Wilkes to potentially fill their role as defensive coordinator. So he may stay right in the division and go directly to a rival. And that, that makes perfect sense. If I'm Steve Wilkes, I'm not sure I want to stay around the building either. It's not it's not a situation where it's sour grapes. It's just, look, I did a good job. I think I deserve that opportunity. You didn't get it, so go somewhere else where you might get an opportunity on down the road. Yeah, you're right. And the Panthers also, just in part of a statement they have since released, they said, quote, We are trying something new while going back to the future at the same time. And what they're alluding to, a lot of Panthers fans out there may have forgotten, Frank Reich actually was the starter in the very first game for the Panthers back in 95. He threw the very first touchdown pass for the Carolina Panthers franchise. Really? He sure You know, to whom? Ooh, now that I don't have the answer off the top of my head. Help me out. Phil, you want to hazard a guess as to who caught the first official touchdown reception as a Carolina Panther? Uh, let's see. First official touchdown catch for the Panthers. That would have been, was it home or away? If it was home, it was at Clemson. It was on the road. It was at at, at Atlanta, ironically enough, to face the Falcons. At Atlanta. Um, I'm going to guess. Um, I don't know. Who was it? Well, we were talking tight ends. How about this name? Pete Metzelars. Oh. Got the first ever touchdown pass for the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, I had like 0% chance of getting that right. I would not have known either. I just happened to see the highlight on Twitter a bit earlier today, so I can't yeah. take credit for that. Yeah, yeah, would not have ever guessed that. All right, um, we will uh, go to our break. 
I'm going to go to the break, and then we'll come back with more. Our phone number, 888-898-2525. That's the South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number to Sports Talk. Since 2002, more than $174 million in lottery proceeds has been used to purchase, maintain, and fuel over 2,000 school buses in South Carolina. Learn more about the lottery's impact at sceducationlottery.com. Slash education wins, playing for fun to win for education. Mike Morgan coming up at 7.05 tonight. We'll be back. Major Billy Downer here from the Department of Natural Resources, and DNR is excited to announce the implementation of Go Outdoors SC, a new online licensing and boat titling system that you can access right from your phone. Through this new system, customers can purchase their hunting and fishing licenses, renew their boats, apply for lottery hunt opportunities, and complete electronic harvest reporting requirements. For more information, visit Go Outdoors SC at your local app store. When your day calls for some winning, why not watch your favorite football team at Dave & Buster's? We've got massive HDTVs and hundreds of the hottest new games set from our chef-crafted cocktail menu with exclusive drinks such as the Strawberry Watermelon Margarita or Dangerous Waters. Cheer on the team with Cantina Nachos or Wings featuring one of our 12 wing flavors. When your day calls for some winning, it's time for Dave & Buster's where you can watch the games and play the games. Locations in Greenville, Columbia, and Myrtle Beach. Touchstone Energy Cooperative members save more, more on electricity, and members save more on insurance, groceries, healthcare, restaurants, travel, concerts, and sporting events through co-op connections. Touchstone Energy is an alliance of the member-owned electric cooperatives, and as a member, the power is yours. Experience the power of co-op membership with Touchstone Energy and find out how much you can save on electricity and a whole lot more at touchstoneenergy.com. We'll get to some phone calls here in a little bit. 888-898-2525 is the number. We got uh, Mike Morgan, Morgan on the move at 705. Comments from Lamont Paris and Jim Corbett, attorney for the stars. Something we're going to do here as long as the Murdoch trial runs. Because, you know, here on Sports Talk, we talk sports. But we also realize sometimes we like to give back in some other ways. And we thought this is such a big story that everybody in the state of South Carolina is paying attention to. And Jim's going to join us to give us the attorney perspective, not necessarily every day, but maybe a couple of times a week, kind of explain what's been going on in the trial and share whatever insight that he can. So he'll be coming up a little bit later on this evening as well. Uh, One note today, we'll pass along some others. The uh, Conference Carolina announced today that they're going to start playing football. Those schools in 25, 19, in 19, in 2025, Conference Carolina, that's uh, a bunch of Division um, two schools. They've just added Shorter University. And North Greenville announced they're going to move from the Gulf South to that league when they start playing football full-time. So it's got to be good news for North Greenville because they can certainly be much more competitive there, I would think. Bergie, you got uh, to leave us shortly, but you wanted to comment on the Gamecocks from last night. 
I'll do that in a second. I wanted to echo your thoughts about North Greenville. It's a terrific move for them from a football perspective because the Gulf South is, in some regards, at least on our side of the country geographically, like the SEC of D2. I mean, it's an extremely difficult Division II football league, and North Greenville could contend and win Conference Carolinas because they don't have a whole lot of football-playing schools right now. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that's going to lay the – framework for other schools that are in that league to add football but I think it's a really good move plus it'll cut down on travel for them so it's a good good move I think for North Greenville in 2025. You're talking about the Gamecocks and we mentioned last night one thing about Gigi Jackson he's got to get some help from Michi Johnson and Hayden Brown and, and maybe Chico Carter some of those other guys have got to start stepping up and playing better and Hayden Brown Phil's got to find a way to stay on the floor the guy has fouled out of three of Carolina's SEC games already and he's got, I think I saw in the state today, he's got 20 more fouls committed than the next closest Gamecock. Mm. I mean, I realize he's a physical player, but he's got to find a way to play under control because he is giving them nothing when he's sitting over beside Lamont, uh, Lamont Paris. And Coach Paris has commented on him about how gutsy and gritty he is, and he's the kind of guy that they need. But he's not doing much from the bench, and they've got to figure out a way to keep him out of foul trouble because he's certainly not helping them. And I think one thing they may want to go back to is the bigger lineup with Josh Gray. Yeah, Josh Gray starting to come on. All right, you have a great call tonight. Thank you, Chris. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Sports Talk, Sports Talk Media Network, 888-898-2525 is our phone number. To your phone calls in just a second. Just to catch up on a couple of things around the SEC last night, besides the South Carolina loss at Florida, you had Tennessee beating Georgia 70-41. 70-41. Uh, Texas A&M won at Auburn. How good are they getting? 79-63 to win at Auburn in the jungle. In Alabama, number two in the country, beat Mississippi State 66-63. So Alabama's 8-0. 8-0, 18-2 overall. Tennessee and A&M, 7-1 and 6-1. And Auburn drops to 6-2. Florida, Kentucky. Kentucky hasn't lost since losing to the Gamecocks. They're 5-3. Mizzou is 4-4. Four Georgia now three and four and thirteen and seven, so a game that South Carolina can go and be competitive in, no doubt about it. Vandy's three and four, Arkansas's three and five, Gamecocks are one and six, LSU, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State one and seven. ACC last night, just a couple of games. Boston College beat Louisville, seventy-five sixty-five, Louisville. Is two and eighteen. I thought I would never see that for a program like Louisville, Louisville, and Pitt. We put the whammy on Wake Forest after being up there and seeing them beat Clemson, talking about how good they are. They haven't won since. Pitt beat Wake Forest 81-79. Coming up Saturday in the ACC, you got Louisville at Notre Dame, Boston College at Virginia, NC State at Wake Forest. Duke at Georgia Tech, Miami at Pittsburgh, Clemson at Florida State, Syracuse at Virginia Tech. That Clemson-Florida State game, intriguing. Dangerous game for Clemson. Florida State 7-14 overall. Got to believe that they are better than the record indicates. That'll be a good one. NC State-Wake Forest should be a pretty decent one. 
and uh, nothing else really jumps out at me on the schedule. Maybe Syracuse, Virginia Tech a little bit. In the SEC coming up, it's the SEC Big 12 day. The challenge on Saturday, South Carolina not invited. You got Auburn at West Virginia. You got Alabama at Oklahoma. You got Texas Tech at LSU. Iowa State at Missouri. TCU at Mississippi State. Arkansas at Baylor. Texas at Tennessee. That should be entertaining. Florida at Kansas State. And then Kansas at Kentucky. Now, Kentucky's on the uptick, and Kansas has lost three in a row. Of course, uh, ESPN was hoping that would be a couple of, you know, top two, top three teams. Not the case. Ole Miss at Oklahoma State. And then you got the Gamecocks at Georgia and Vanderbilt at uh, Texas A&M. So there you go with the basketball scene for now. And, of course, the USC women, this is their off week. You know, you have a mandated off week, and um, the USC women taking advantage of that. And uh, do they need a break? Uh, they're well-rested now. They're healthy for the most part, so they're in good shape here as they start to hit the um, home stretch of the season. They've got those big games coming up down the road, of course. Things are going to get a little more interesting for them, but their uh, next game will be Sunday at Alabama. Then they've got Kentucky at home, and then February 5th, they go to UConn for a noon tip there on Fox and then a week a week later it's LSU in Columbia at two o'clock and then a couple of weeks later February 23rd at Tennessee seven o'clock so those big ones are looming for the Gamecocks Pat just to circle back real fast you're talking about Florida basketball and, and of course the Gamecock men playing the Gators last night do you happen to remember the name Keontae Johnson? Yeah. And have you followed him? Just just remarkable story for those that may have forgotten. Uh, back in December of 2020, Keontae Johnson was one of the most sought-after prospects out of high school. And at Florida, was was looking every bit the part. Looked like a future lottery to NBA draft pick. And then tragically collapsed on the court during a game in December of 2020. Uh, ultimately, I believe he graduated Florida, then kind of parted ways. Was not Never played at Florida again. But... He has now transferred to Kansas State, where he's resurrected his basketball career. Kansas State right now is first place in the Big 12. They're number five in the country, and Johnson leads the team with 18 points, eight boards, and two assists a game. And uh, looks like he may still have that NBA future. And this weekend on Saturday, the Florida Gators will actually play Kansas State in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. Just just thought that was kind of neat. Interesting, interesting. So, by losing last night at Florida, the Gamecocks moved up one spot in the net. They moved up a spot to 278 with their loss. Now, Smitty did some research for us, and uh, before we get to phone calls, I want to take a look at this. He did some research and sent us some information on the net and how the net is compiled. And, I mean, you have to have a degree from MIT I think to figure it out because it's pretty convoluted. If you haven't ever looked at the formula for the net, I mean, I used to think the um, the RPI was complicated, but the net has uh, really added to it to the extreme. So to get your your net ranking, uh, let's see here. Um, let's see, let's see. Where is what they sent to me? 
Uh, oh, looking at the wrong, looking at the wrong text. I've got it. If you want me to help, Bill. No, I want to talk about it. Right. No, give me a second here. I want to find it here. There we go. So um, I was looking at the wrong text. So net NCAA evaluation tool ranking tool the optimate word here because I think it takes a tool to figure it out. Team index value based on game results. Algorithms set up to reward teams who beat other good teams. Results-oriented component of the net. Factors. Opponent. Location. Winner. Which morphs into the team value index score. You follow me, Pat? Then you've got the net efficiency. Offensive efficiency minus defensive efficiency. So O minus D equals net efficiency. Now the O is compromise of compromise is comprised of field goal attempts minus offensive rebounds plus turnovers plus four four point four seven five times free throw attempts point four seven five time free throw attempts equals total number of possessions and. Then on the defensive side, opponent's field goal attempts minus opponent offensive rebounds plus opponent's turnovers plus .475 times opponent's free throw attempts equals total number of opponent's possessions and then some other gobbledygook there. Uh, Another component, winning percentage. Same calculation for any sport. Wins divided by total games played equals winning percentage. And then adjusted win percentage, weighted value based on location and result. A road win counts as plus 1.4. A neutral point is 1.0. A home win is 0.6. A road loss is minus 0.6. Neutral is minus 1. And home loss is minus 1.4 equals the adjusted winning percentage. And then there's scoring margin point differential capped at 10 points in each game. Team score minus opponent score equals scoring margin. I can figure that out. That is all that goes into the net. I wonder who dreamed that up at some headquarters somewhere. Gosh, and not only is it overly complicated, but first thing that sticks out to me is that does not factor in whatsoever if a team has injuries. Maybe a team goes 30-3 and on the season, but those three losses were because their best two players were out for those games. Or even in the last couple years, maybe they had covid and they weren't able to play or something. But you're going to penalize that team because of that. And you would have thought with all this convoluted math in there, they could have figured out a way to equate that into the into the picture as well. All right, let's get to some phone calls now that we have bored you to tears with our, uh, our class on uh, the net rankings there. But I thought that was kind of interesting because I really didn't know what made up the net rankings, and that sort of tells you. We go to... Hank in Columbia, who I'm sure at night when his head hits the pillow, last thing he thinks about from the USC women's standpoint is their net ranking and how it's been uh, put together for that week. Uh, Henry, welcome into Sports Talk. How are you? I'm doing fine. And you're right. The last thing I think about is the net. The last time I thought about the net was back when we got close a couple of those times when Frank Martin was there and you had to have a quadrant one, a quadrant two, and they'd always have we'd always have that quadrant four <laughs> loss at the beginning of the year. Yep. That no matter how many wins we had, it tr- it, it trumped the entire season. Yep. 
and it always made, it seemed like it happened a couple of years in a row. <laughs> yep, it was. You know, when, when you're when you're on the edge, when you're on the bubble like that, you start going back and looking at the nitty gritty report for the net rankings. And yep, those quadrant four losses always come back to haunt the teams that don't make it. And we would always have, with, it seemed like with Frank Martin, we would always have one within the first two to three games of the season, and, and it never would go away. It yep. would hang on like a fort. So um, that's all I think about the net. Um, a couple, but a couple of things, Corn. One, mm-hmm. you know, when you're discussing the thing about Oregon, the, the big thing to remember is Oregon wild, tries to wow everybody with their facilities. But Oregon, uh, there, if you've ever paid any attention, which I'm sure you probably haven't, to um, track and field results. Oh, wait a 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 minute. <laughs> what do you mean you don't think I you don't think I pay attention to the U.S. What? Olympic trials, the NCAA's? Oh, the, no, I'm, oh, I'm talking about NCAA, NCAA. I pay attention to the NCAA who, who, competitions. Who won, the, who won the national championship last year in the NCAA? Arkansas. No. <laughs> LSU. Florida swept the championships. Their okay. girls and their board team won the championship. Well, I bet you Arkansas <laughs> finished second. Arkansas, Arkansas was up there. Arkansas was a little bit down the road. I think Texas finished second. Okay. Second. But I kind of, I kind of just mentioned that to say, Corn, that even though Oregon has all the facilities and all of that, they, they never, they, they don't ever have a track team that places in the top ten teams in the country on the girls or the women's side. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like for Oregon with everything. They, they use that night money to have these outstanding facilities. But it doesn't. It doesn't result. It doesn't seem to result in Oregon having number one football recruiting classes or basketball recruiting classes ever, um, for whatever reason. So, uh, you know, if you um, not saying that uh, Harbor won't be wild by Oregon, but speaking, I think speak, speaking of that and recruiting rankings and all that kind of stuff that you believe in. I read this in the Athletic today. Roughly 3,000 high school seniors were evaluated during the 2022 recruiting cycle. Among that group, uh-huh. among that group, 34 were designated with five-star status. 34 out of 3,000. According uh-huh. to this story, only 43% of the five stars since 2016 have started at least one game as a true freshman, with one in five starting more than six games in their first college season by year two 78 percent have cracked the starting lineup and 52 percent are starting at least half of their team's games my point there and what their point is is of course it's great to sign the most ballyhooed players but more than half of them aren't starters in their initial year maybe some are contributing but they aren't starters and the point is give them a chance don't expect so much out of some of these highly ballyhooed players. They don't always play up to that level. Well, Corn, you did a – you know, I've been listening to you for probably about 25 years. You did a story on that years ago when mm-hmm. you had an, uh, one of the recruiting analysts come on, and he basically said the only thing a five-star a five should be a kid that should be getting playing time by his second year and should be should end up being a two year starter. Remember, I think a guy that you had that you had him on as a guest. He said, you know, a four star should be a guy that's contributing and should be um, able to be a starter in his his third or fourth year on campus. And then you know, it was hitting this with your others. But it was like the five star was not expected. I think some of the players people get confused with is some of these five star players that are generational. 
folk who, when they come on, they're just that. But most of the five stars are, should be having some playing time their first year, that, that guy said on your show. And then uh, Irvin used to do that Sunday night recruiting show thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and by their second or third year starting. So I believe it. But um, the reason I said I brought that up about Oregon Corn was the fact that when you look at Harbor, uh, if you want to look at uh, something that is a plus for Kurt Fry, that uh, in addition to him winning um, a national championship here at their track, is Coach Fry has twice been the Olympic coach, if you remember. He's, been, he's twice been the, the Olympic coach for the sprinters for the United States. He, he was it in Atlanta, and then just recently, some years back, he was hired. He, uh, I, I can't remember, it, was, it wasn't Tokyo, but it was another one of the Olympics. So two times he's coached the Olympic. Um, he's coached the Olympic team sprinters um, as the lead sprint coach. So um, I hope they are using him because if we track people, it's about who trains them. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's a big difference. Not where, you know, where they are. It's who trains them, if you remember. But yep. Coach Fry twice been chosen to coach the Olympic team, so that shows you his knowledge base. Um, and then I have one thing to say about basketball corn. Okay. I, I, I hope people are, you know, remember when Frank Martin is here and he used to always talk about year zero, year zero? And the way that the team was kind of blown up or was disintegrated last year, for Paris, I kind of look at this as a year zero. But I look around at the other squads who um, – I look around at the other squads who had their whole squad basically disintegrated last year and the coaches were hired late in the realm and then they had to grab everybody from the portal in the SEC. And those squads, us, LSU, um, I can't remember if Mississippi State or Ole Miss or whatever. Mm -hmm. Ole Miss coaches didn't there. But us, LSU, and a couple of others, like you said with Georgia, you see those squads, no matter how much – they went and grabbed people out the portal. They're picking up these thirty-point losses, also, almost on a nightly basis. Well, I mean, you know, it's tough. It's tough to put a basketball team together with pieces here and there when guys aren't used to playing with each other, and especially in a case with a new coach. And everything is new at South Carolina with so many new pieces, a new coaching staff. But let's just face it. I mean, this South Carolina team is from a talent standpoint, way on down the ladder right now. Yeah, exactly. You know, just exactly. way on down the ladder. He did the best he could with what he got in the short term. Let's see how the recruiting goes. Uh, let's see if he can win some recruiting battles in his own backyard and elsewhere and see what kind of team, once he gets a chance, a coach has to recruit and build a team in his own image. Let's see what he does over a period of two or three years. I, yeah, I, I agree with you, Corn, and that's that's just what I was pointing out. I looked at LSU the other day when they got beat by forty, and then I think the other night they got beat by thirty. Mm-hmm. And and I, and I saw it, and I said, you know, I think it's just a product of these teams who are coming together um, under a coach going through the league. And I think some of these beatings um, they're taking is because if a coach thinks they're going to be there, they're they're installing their system now. They're installing their system now so that they can recruit to their system for people to see instead of, you know, sometimes people cheat to get a kind of cheat their system to to get a quick win here or there or an consequential winner there, and then um, it hurts them down the road two or three years down the road. I think Paris is trying to establish how he wants them to play, and some of these guys are not capable of playing that free-flowing five-out system that he does 
but the ones who will stick and recruiting may help them down the road. So I just hope people just give them a uh, give them a, a pass uh, pass this year because it, it's it's just hard with that type of talent. Um, and you said if you, if you out rebound a team, that means you are working. Yeah, the effort was there. Effort was there last two games. Thank you very much, Hank. We appreciate it. But they just have got to avoid these extended slumps offensively that's putting them 20, 25 points behind in almost every game now. Uh, let's go to Gamecock Larry up with us next here on Sports Talk. To what do we owe the pleasure of your call, Gamecock Larry? Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to put your mind to ease. Don't worry about Harbor. We will know next Wednesday. But, uh. Oh, you mean Harbor, not Harbor. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. He gave away. All roads lead home. So he'll be okay. Hmm. But, uh, I want to talk a little bit about this basketball team. I might have talked about it before. You might have told me the same thing I'm going to say now. But I'm going to tell you, I turned that radio on last night. And after about 10 minutes, I thought we had a chance. But, boy, I tell you, I must have fell asleep, but I'm glad I did. Because <laughs> I tell you what, we got a no-name coach. We got a no-name staff. We got a disoriented, or I can't say the word. Mm. But we got a team that don't know, seem like they don't know a basketball from a softball. Mm. And that coach comes out and says, and did you hear that post? Post game that he well that he that he talked. I turned him off. I wouldn't even. I didn't, and today. I listened to one of one hundred point seven. I wouldn't even listen to him. Mm. Uh, he called and so they say, "Give him time, give him time." Yeah, we got to give him time. But I guarantee you, if the good Lord's willing and God, Game Caller is still around, we gonna have to do what two or three years from now, what we should have done. No, we can't do that. I, I'm all mixed up. But anyway, I don't know. I have, I don't care what to say. This is the worst uh, basketball team has been since uh, Newton. 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 I, I don't know whether you even remember Newton or not, but they had Newton for one year, I think it was. Two. And I... I, I I, this 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 coach don't even talk like a oh Lord, let me get off this thing. I I, I ain't gonna say nothing. I'm gonna let it go. I'm not gonna listen to no more of this games. I'm not gonna look at them. I'm gonna just listen to what the radio say about it. And I'm gonna, and I I don't think they go win another game this year. That's what that's the way I feel. All and right. I hate to say it, but mm-hmm. I hate to say it, but Lord help us. We need some help. Mm. But later, love all y'all. Yeah, game cock. Larry, thank yes, you, sir. thank you. Hope you're doing well. <laughs> Appreciate your phone call. Uh, listen, you just got to write off this year for Gamecock basketball. Yeah, you just got to write it off. I mean, look, 
when Frank Martin was fired, <coughs> much of the team left with him for one reason or another. And what was Lamont Paris left with when he uh, took over? Um, nothing. Look at the starting lineup. Uh, maybe just one, Chico Carter. He's a carryover. But everybody else, pretty much in the starting lineup, is a newcomer. So, I mean, he had to, let's see, uh, Jackson's a newcomer. All right, all right Jacoby Wright and, and Chico Carter. So Hayden Brown, Michi Johnson, Gigi Jackson, and then you got Josh Gray's a carryover. Um, Hankin Sanford is new. Zach Davis is new. Um, Bosman's Verdonk is new. So most of the players who are playing more minutes are new. I guess three are carryovers who are playing, you know, substantial minutes. But unfortunately, I mean, none of those three are going to put fear into the hearts of any of the opponents the Gamecocks are facing. And um, they're just not a very overall talented team right now. That's just how you have to look at it. And he's not a magic man who can, you know, wave his wand and, and all of a sudden this isn't like Rick Barnes at Clemson in year one with the slab five. Somehow that came together. Of course, he had a pro um, who eventually became a great player in uh, Greg Buckner. I think Greg Buckner was one of those five, right? And he was a freshman, and he was originally going to play at Providence with Barnes, and he came to Clemson. Who knew how good he was going to be? He turned out to be a great player. He turned out to be one of Clemson's all-time greats and played in the NBA. But the rest of them, can you name them? Todd, uh, Tom Weidman, Greg Buckner. Um, who was the one that uh, Dean Smith yelled out? Uh, from had, Turkey? Yeah, Terrell McIntyre and then Jameson on that squad as well. I don't remember the Turkish guy. Um, oh, Eterby. 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 And then remember when Barnes yelled at Smith for yelling at his player, for talking to his player? Don't talk to my players. Oh, that was a that was a team that would get after it now. Be right back. Welcome back to Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. You can reach the guys with the South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number, 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now back to Phil, Chris, and Pat with the second hour of Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. All right, welcome back, everybody. Good to have you with us. Hour number two of Sports Talk, Sports Talk Media Network on this Thursday night. Phil Kornblut, Pat Daniel from the Dave and Buster's Studios here in downtown Columbia. Don't forget about Dave and Buster's. Eat, drink, play, catch all the big games all season long. Dave and Buster's, Greenville, Columbia, and Myrtle Beach. We welcome those of you just now able to join us over the airwaves. Had a great first hour. A lot of good phone calls. The ones that we got to, a lot of good conversation. And we will have more of the same coming up for you here in this hour, including a visit from Jim Corbett, who's keeping an eye on the Murdoch murder case as we go a little bit outside our comfort zone and cover one of the big news stories in the state of South Carolina in many, many a year. Uh, we'll hear from Lamont Paris, the USC basketball coach, and uh, USC basketball coach uh, who uh, suffered a loss last night down at Florida. Got recruiting coming up for you as well. Tell you more about Nick Harbor, 
talk about the commitment the Gamecocks got today from Elijah Caldwell. Right now, though, it is time for another edition of Morgan on the Move, starring Mike Morgan, brought to you by Brent Skinner Clothiers, right here in the Vista in Columbia. Brent Skinner has not only become the leader in Columbia for the very best in men's clothing, but clients nationally have come to know Brent's. And he has you covered if you want to look your very best. Brent and his staff provide you with professional and individual attention to create a wardrobe that distinctly and identifies you. From custom suits and shirts to the very best in shoes and accessories, it's all under one roof. And if you can't make it to the Columbia store in the Vista, Brent will come to you. Just set up that appointment today at bpskinnerclothiers.com. Mike, welcome. And let's begin. <laughs> let's begin, first of all, with an opportunity for you to shoot down a number of major rumors. Are you or are you not a candidate to replace Chip Carey as a TV voice of the Braves? First off, the, the main reason I think people tune into this show, uh, and certainly the reason why I come on and listen to it uh, is to solve the great murder mysteries uh, throughout <laughs> South Carolina and the country. So if you could tell me uh, who killed Jeffrey Epstein, uh, who got in the cell, who let him in, mm. clearly it was not a suicide, mm. uh, who covered it up. Mm. If we could just break that down for the next few minutes uh, and I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> uh, we'll turn that over to Jim Corbett as well. Our, our super, <laughs> our super sleuth. Uh, now answer the good, question. Good stuff. Uh, I've got no answer for you on that. I, I've got no answer for you on that other than I was surprised as uh, as anybody else. Uh, I, I I knew Chip, which is to say when I, when I worked with the Braves, when I traveled with the Braves, uh, I, I got to know him more and more, always liked Chip, uh, a genuinely good person. You, you know as well as I do, there are many people in our business who are very folksy on the air but are complete uh, a-holes off it. Mm. <laughs> uh, and uh, that does not fit the description of, of Chip Carey uh, at all. But, um, you know, there are a lot of different uh, rumors out there why you would leave the Braves to, to take a job with the Cardinals. Uh, so it, I can just say it was it was a surprise to a lot of folks uh, down here for sure. Yeah, that sounds like a non-denial denial to me. Well, I, I, if if for some reason I was actually interviewing for the job, I certainly wouldn't come on your show and talk about it. But uh, exactly, I'm sure I'm sure whoever does so the you're job not talking will be very about happy. it. You're not as I'm putting the pieces together. Since we are talking about investigative journalism here tonight, as I'm putting the pieces together, you've refused to answer the question directly. And now you just said you wouldn't talk about it if you were. So I deduce that you are because thusly you're not talking about it. Well, that's that's quite a deduction. I don't think that's really uh, very accurate. But uh, <laughs> but I like your sleuth work there. Uh, no question about that. And I would just say I'm very happy where I am. There you go. As are we. Okay, Colin <laughs> Castleton. What do you think of him overall as a player? <laughs> That's your that's your lead question. That's this it. Is all over the map tonight. That's what we do. We're solving murders. <laughs> We're asking about jobs. We're talking about the Florida Center. Like yes. What, what's next? Are we breaking down the St. Louis Blues front line? <laughs> what? Uh, Colin Castleton. Well, I'll put it to you this way. Mm-hmm. 
you know, when you look at the new coaches in this league, uh, Matt McMahon of LSU had just as much, if not more, success than any of them with the job he did at Murray State, three NCAA tournaments, victories in the NCAA tournament, uh, several conference championships in the, in the Ohio Valley. He's at LSU now. Virtually nobody returned from last year's team, and they're in the cellar. <clears throat> Why do I mention that? Because if Colin Castleton decided to not come back for another year at Florida, which he was not going to, I've interviewed him on this subject, and he was all but gone. Florida could easily be in the cellar right now with LSU, with Ole Miss, with Mississippi State. Uh, the fact that Coach Golden got him to come back for another year changes the complete complexion of that team. And you, you, you see that. Uh, I didn't watch much of the game last night. Uh, I know his, his numbers weren't overbearing, but he affects everything. I mean, he he's a willing passer, so he, he, he makes Florida better on offense. He's a rim protector. If he's not blocking shots, he's altering them. I think he still leads the league in blocks. Uh, he's a very good college player. I don't know if he's going to make it in the NBA. I don't care. Uh, I just know he's very good in the SEC, and any team would be lucky to have him. Yeah, absolutely. I He's always been good against South Carolina. Block shots, rebounds. The Gamecocks played them to an eight-point game at the half, fell behind the second half, got into the 20s, and got away from them once again. I'd say about the only thing you could ask for right now for South Carolina, would you agree or disagree at this point, against most of the teams they play, is just give great effort because you're not talented enough to play with most of the teams on your schedule. You don't shoot it well enough. You can't defend well enough. But you can give great effort and give something Lamont Paris to kind of build on going into next year as he is going to have to remake this roster once again, I would think. Yeah, look, I, I don't think anybody, including Lamont Paris, is surprised at what they walked into today, uh, excuse me, this season. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's a roster that it's not up to par with the other programs in the SEC. Uh, one McDonald's All-American alone does not change the fate of your entire season. And I give them credit. <clears throat> they have competed hard. I don't think there's any quit on that roster. Uh, they pulled off a stunning win at Rupp Arena, which is going to look even more impressive a month from now because I think Kentucky is starting to catch fire. But uh, it, it, every game is going to be a struggle. I still think there's winnable games left on the schedule. Uh, I think they're going to win uh, some more games in league play, but they're going to be games like last night where they don't play well, they're overmatched at particular positions, and it's just going to be a struggle. What would you take from last night's action around the mm -hmm. SEC? Anything in particular stand out? I would have to suggest maybe Kentucky now seems to have right in the ship after that shocking loss to South Carolina. They haven't lost since then. And to beat a really good uh, Texas – I'm sorry, to uh, beat a uh, – where, where, where were we at here the other day? Uh, Kentucky. Well, they won at Vanderbilt, so they won the other day. They won on Tuesday. Um, oh, Texas A&M at Auburn going into the jungle. So – Talk about what Kentucky has done since that loss to South Carolina and then how Texas A&M, after their very slow start, has just turned it around and become a force in the league. I think that's the bigger story right now is what <clears throat> what Buzz, Buzz Williams uh, is doing at Texas A&M. They just snapped the longest home winning streak in the country at Auburn in the jungle. Uh, they've got a, a, a guy in – in uh, in what they call boo, who they call boots, mm. uh, Tyrese, who's six foot two, 
and is one of the best rebounders in the league and gets to the free throw line any more uh, more than anybody in the league at six two. Uh, he's just a he's a he's a unicorn. He's a unique type of player that plays like he's six ten. Um, I, I I think overall, and I've had them a couple of times. Nobody wants to play A and M. Nobody wants to deal with them. They beat you up. They uh, they grind you out. <clears throat> and right now they're just winning games because they have found enough offense to to complement that defense. So I, I think A and M is one of the best stories going. I know Joe Lenardi had them uh, first four out. Uh, they're a tournament team. I, I'd be shocked if we don't see them in the uh, in the tournament. And they're the kind of style that travels come March. Uh, that you know they can win games fifty eight, fifty four, sixty two, sixty one. Like that, they can do all those things. They get to the free throw line. They play defense. Like they could be a problem for anybody in the tournament. So I, I think that's the. The, the best story going now, because we've already told the story of Alabama. We've already told the story about Kentucky. We know they're the best two teams out there. You mentioned Kentucky is picking it up right now. Uh, but I, I think and Missouri's been the surprise team of the SEC. I've got them Saturday in the Big 12 Challenge against Iowa State. That place will be rocking in Como. Uh, so those are the, some of the, the stories we're already familiar with. I think A&M is becoming one of the best stories potentially in the country if they keep winning the way they are. Okay, I know you're in the middle, the heart of basketball season, but I know you. You're keeping an eye on baseball as well because you got that coming up on your agenda in a few weeks. We met with uh, – we had Mark Kingston on the show a couple nights ago. We had Eric Backich on the show last night. Kingston met with the media again today. Backich is going to talk to the media tomorrow. We'll talk to other coaches around South Carolina as college baseball practice begins. But I want to talk about the Gamecocks, and again – uh, this looks like a team that can do some really good things. Uh, Kingston talks about the pitching, how healthy they are. He thinks he's got six quality arms who could be starters. Then, of course, he's looking for four starters, and two of the two of those who don't start will drop off into the bullpen. You got Wimmer moving full-time to shortstop, which means Braswell's going to end up playing somewhere else in some capacity. That's how good he believes Wimmer is. He thinks Wimmer's one of the best shortstops he's ever coached because of his range. Uh, so, in general, and I know you got a lot of digging to do down the road, but South <laughs> Carolina baseball and I know you it's keep an January, eye on baseball. Phil, I don't have it. I don't have a scouting report on Carolina well, baseball in you January. You know their arms from last year. Their healthy arms. <laughs> How good can the Gamecocks be in baseball? Thank you very much. I have no idea because in order to answer that question, I'd have to look at the arms of the other 13 teams that they're going to compete against. So, look, it's it's going to be a, a bounce-back year. I think – well, I don't think I know. People around that program knew last year was going to be a struggle. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year the expectations are higher because you've got a lot of those premier players back. You pick up some newcomers in recruiting. Uh, obviously – Mark Kingston knows it's a very big year for him personally. Uh, there's, no, there's, there's no doubt in my mind they're going to be better. But to to give you a full assessment of where they stack in the SEC, I, I'm not prepared to uh, give you much on that on, on January the 26th. Now, let me go ahead and give you a little insight. They'll be in the top five. Please. They'll be in the top five. Okay. All right, mark it down. Top now, five of the league? Of the league, of the league, which, okay. you know, that's pretty good. Now, I'll mark were, that down. were you shocked that the – USC softball team was picked last by their coaches in their preseason poll. 
Now you want me to break down? <laughs> you're, what, you're, what about the equestrian we, team? Where, we, where do we think uh, the we, equestrian team stands right now? We bring you on for everything SEC and a little ACC. That's that's your purpose in life. You're Mr. I, SEC. You know, I, I'm not Mr. Softball. I haven't called a, an SEC softball game in my life, and I don't don't plan on doing one this year. So you're going to have to have an extra. Maybe Jim Corbett, when he's uh, solving the Kennedy assassination, can, can break down the SEC softball hierarchy. Oh, uh, all right. Let me ask you this: back to basketball, since you're so in tune with basketball. Going to shift gears and go to we can Clemson. Talk football. I'm up with SEC football 365. We had never a bad time to talk football. No, I'm going to go to Clemson basketball because okay, they're Clemson basketball. 17 wins. They continue to lead the ACC. Got to give them a lot of respect. This is a good-looking team in my eyes. He's got some depth, and they're winning without two of their best players who've been out with injury. So when they get to the tournament, they're going to make the NCAA tournament barring a complete collapse and, and maybe be, you know, right now they're saying 8-9 seed. Maybe they'll be higher. But, I mean, do you think they – from what you've seen, is this a team that can uh, do some damage in the tournament? Well, I, I, I want to see what kind of seed they get first. Uh, and that does matter. It, it really does. I think some people just think, well, as long as we get the tournament, what's the difference? There's a big difference between being, say, a, a four or five seed and getting to play a, 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 a mid-major in the first round versus being, say, in that 8-9 game and it's, it's a pick 'em game, and you're usually playing another Power Six school. And so, in other words, there's a lot of meat left on the bone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like I like Brad Brownell's team. I like the way they're playing together. You mentioned the injuries; if they're healthy, I certainly feel better about where they can go. Uh, and I respect Brad Brownell as a coach, and and coaching really matters more once you get to that NCAA tournament because. Very often, you're going to be playing in games where the talent is relatively equal. So, uh, just keep on winning if you're Clemson. You know, keep on getting, uh, making a better and better case to be a higher seed, and create your path to making a deep run in the tournament. Don't just get in there by the skin of your teeth. Get in there uh, and and have a good enough seed where you can do some damage. All right. Last thing you want to talk SEC football. So, Alabama appears to be close to rehiring Jeremy Pruitt to be their defensive coordinator. Tide Illustrated reported he was on campus this week. Of course, they got to find a new OC as well. So what do you think of that if it happens? And, I mean, his the crimes against him at Tennessee because he's only going to be an assistant, not a head coach. They don't follow him to Alabama? That's a great question. Um, much better than your softball question. Yes. I, I think uh, – This was actually a I, softball I, question about football. <laughs> yes, very well done. Yes. No, I, you know, here's the thing about Jeremy Pruitt. It, it could not have ended any worse than it did in Knoxville. But he was absolutely loved in Tuscaloosa mm-hmm. by Nick Saban, by the, the, by the staff, by the fans. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt was a very, very hot name. It looks – it looks laughable now, considering it could it couldn't have been a bigger disaster than it was in Knoxville. But if you can get him as a coordinator, and it's not like he's, to my knowledge, he's not carrying a show cause, mm-hmm. right? So if he's not carrying a show cause, uh, you know maybe maybe you get a phone call from Greg Sankey. I don't I don't know, uh, but the NCAA now, as as toothless as it appears to be, I don't know if they'll do anything to stop it. 
I agree. I agree. And, with and that. if they and, and look, is I, I can't I can't deny the fact that the guy's a good coordinator, a good recruiter, uh, and it would be an asset. And Nick Nick Saban doesn't invite you back unless he knows you've got something to offer. He's not just doing it out of the kindness of his heart or out of loyalty or anything else. He knows that the guy can give him something. And I, I don't think he was ever in love with the two coordinators who just left. I don't think there was a big fight to keep those two coaches around, uh, both of whom, of course, have departed for, uh, for other jobs. Okay, uh, Mike, always a pleasure. Enjoy your uh, game coming up on Saturday. Again, you'll be doing a game in the SEC Big Ten Challenge. Everybody lives for that. Big 12. I mean, Big 12, my bad. Everybody lives for that uh, annually. And uh, you've got, uh, as you mentioned, you have got Iowa State at Missouri. So enjoy that, and we will talk to you next week. Well, it sounds good. Uh, Please let me know, was it the second shooter behind the picket (laughs) fence I think the CIA was involved. Uh, look under Oswald. He was a contract agent for the CIA. He lived in Russia. He got back very easily. Uh, I don't know what Marina's involvement was, but you can find out from Jim Corbett. Hey, your Google, your Googleness is quite. Uh, you're on top of your game. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate and, that. And googling things. Thank you very much. Yes. Have a great weekend. Right. See you. All right. My, who was Marina? Who was the other guy he mentioned? Marino? Never heard of that one before. Not sure. With the Kennedy assassination. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Mike. We appreciate it. We got to go to the break, and we'll come back with more here on Sports Talk. We got recruiting coming up. Uh, we've got comments from uh, Lamont Paris coming your way as well. Update a couple of things. Got the Clemson women playing Georgia Tech, fifteen fifteen at the end of a quarter. Make it nineteen fifteen Clemson. As they play in the second quarter, James Madison and Coastal Carolina, they are in the first half. It is uh, the Dukes over the shots, 17-10. Be right back. Hope, life, and the great Palmetto. What do these things have in common? Scholarship dollars. The SE Hope, the life, and the Palmetto Fellow Scholarships are funded by the lottery players of this great state. And after 20 years, you've invested over $7 billion in education. $7 billion. Impressive. The South Carolina Education Lottery. When you play, we all win. George Bryant for Tsunami Bar Sports, our inventor. David Abernathy has always said Tsunami Bar technology allows us to take the training to the grass. Now I know through my sport of golf that natural agility can be converted to athletic ability. And why is this, Tsunami Robbie? Transferring the training to the grass. This may be the most undervalued characteristic of the Tsunami Flexible Bar technology. The Tsunami Bar action loads and unloads at the concentric and eccentric transition points. This is what we call reversal forces. And the Tsunami Bar is the only bar in training device that I know of that can train these reversal forces adequately at speed. Hey, this is Phil Kornblut. The Tsunami Bar is a terrific training device whether you're working on your fitness or your golf game. It's convenient, it's easy to use, and you won't feel beat up afterwards. Be sure to click on the digital ad on sportstalksc.com and get 5% off any order using promo code BBB5. Don't wait. Order today. 
When your day calls for some winning, why not watch your favorite football team at Dave & Buster's? We've got massive HDTVs and hundreds of the hottest new games set from our chef-crafted cocktail menu with exclusive drinks such as the Strawberry Watermelon Margarita or Dangerous Waters. Cheer on the team with Cantina Nachos or Wings featuring one of our 12 wing flavors. When your day calls for some winning, it's time for Dave & Buster's where you can watch the games and play the games. Locations in Greenville, Columbia, and Myrtle Beach. Hi, I'm Jim Corbett. I've been an attorney for more than 30 years. There's one thing I've learned about injury cases. It's you need the personal touch. You need the lawyer to get to know you and describe your damages. You don't want a case manager talking to an insurance company and then talking to you and then talking to maybe to a lawyer with limited experience at the last minute to try to settle a case. I talk to you. I find out what your case is about. Jim at JimCorbettAttorney.com. Jim at JimCorbettAttorney.com for your injury cases. Thanks again to Mike Morgan. That guy's quite a character, isn't he? He's quite the character. Appreciate Mike being with us tonight. I think he'd do great in the Braves booth, but I'm not too sure. And I guess that would be, uh, that's a marquee position, obviously, in play-by-play world. I mean, there's only so many Major League Baseball TV play-by-play jobs. If you get one, that's, that's pretty cool. But I think he really likes what he's doing, traveling around, doing the different games. He's got football, basketball, baseball all going on, but I could see him slide into that job if he wanted and if they were interested. So we'll see what happens. In the meantime, speaking of jobs, Pat, you ran across something that was written about Lincoln Riley and Clemson. That could have happened a few years ago. Yeah, quite the article coming out today in the Post and Courier from uh, John Blau, and he interviewed Lincoln Riley, current head coach at Southern Cal, and was asked about his younger brother Garrett being the new offensive coordinator at Clemson, and Lincoln's response was, Quite shocking. He said, quote, I can remember when I was at East Carolina from 2010 to 2014, the last couple of years there, kind of being in that part of the country thinking, man, that'd be awesome if something up opened up at Clemson and I could go run the offense there for Dabo. Hmm. Those type of opportunities don't come up and they're hard to get. And it's worth noting that exact time frame after 2014 is when Lincoln Riley left to go to Oklahoma to be their offensive coordinator. Well, after 2014 is also when Chad Morris left Clemson. So that offensive coordinator position was open at Clemson when Riley was actively looking to go somewhere else and ended up at Oklahoma. So the timing could potentially have worked out. Now Clemson fans out there, of course, will push to Tony Elliott and Jeff Scott, then became co-offensive coordinators for Clemson, went on to help lead the Tigers to two national championships. So I think they probably are okay with the results, but still worth noting that, uh, Lincoln Riley, one of the hottest names in football, could have been at Clemson and was interested. Now, when was – when did Chad Morris leave? After 2014. Then he went to, what, SMU, I believe? After 24 – isn't that a little soon for him to have left? When did Clemson win? He was on the first national championship team, wasn't he? No, he was not. He wasn't? Nope. Okay. We'll be back. Listen. 
Okay, time for recruiting on this Thursday night edition of Sports Talk, brought to you by Seawells. Oh, my goodness. First of all, boy, if you wanted to do a crime in the, the Midlands area today, I guess Midlands area, between noon and like 1.30, you could have gotten away with it because, like, there was some kind of police thing, not an incident, but a conference, a meeting of police people at Seawells today. I mean, cop cars from everywhere were there. They were in there, of course, enjoying themselves on some great uh, Seawells food. And I was there for the uh, daily luncheon buffet. Today was roast beef Thursday with a little chicken and a great array of vegetables. And I was, uh, I would have gone anyway, but a buddy of mine, you know, another victim of my uh, deep knowledge lost a, a wager, a wager and, and he wanted to pay it back with a Seawell's luncheon buffet. So I, of course, took him up on it. You don't have to wait on winning a bet. It's not expensive. It's only $13. So make sure you get over there for the daily luncheon buffet. And, of course, now you got a lot of things coming up this spring with weddings and a lot of parties and uh, corporate outings maybe, uh, banquets of all types. Uh, Seawells, they are the people to call about your uh, big event because they got a beautiful facility in Columbia. You don't have the room. You don't have the space. You don't have the time. You don't have the energy. You don't have the knowledge. They got it all, and they'll take care of your event professionally and personally. They are at 1125 Rosewood Drive. Their phone number is 803-771-7385 and online at seawellscateringsc.com. So the Gamecocks, they stay hot in recruiting. Another commitment, this for the 23 class. 23 class is about done. Northwestern receiver Elijah Caldwell, 61190, commits to the Gamecocks today, announcing that on Twitter. Picking the Gamecocks over NC State, originally committed to West Virginia, but decommitted in December. Some other offers were Georgia Tech, Purdue, East Carolina, Duke, Appalachian State, and Middle Tennessee. He played for the Shrine Bowl team and had four catches for 61 yards in that game. It was the hours and days following that game that USC receivers coach Justin Stepp really picked up the recruiting intensity with Caldwell, who said that Stepp loves the way he plays and that offensive coordinator Dowell Loggins said that uh, he loves the way he plays and how aggressive he is. 77 catches, 1,365 yards, 20 touchdowns this past season. Northwestern coach Paige Wofford said Caldwell, a lot of great things about him. Great desire to win, desire to do well, using the talents that he has. Big, strong, physical receiver. You could put him anywhere that you wanted to. And he can change the score from anywhere because he can break that first tackle. And his leadership is outstanding. So the Gamecocks have five receivers in their group of 23 newcomers, which now totals 32. He's also the eighth recruit with ties to the state to pledge to the Gamecocks. Okay, Nick Harbor. USC was in the home last night to visit the defensive end, tight end out of Washington, D.C., Shane Beamer and uh, several Gamecock assistants. They were the last to be in. Three head coaches were in last night. Mike Loxley of Maryland and Mariel Cristobal of Miami also were in. Earlier, Dan Lanning of Oregon and Jim Harbaugh of Michigan came through. Talking to Nick's father, Azuka Harbor, he said, quote, the meeting really went well. It's like old family meeting each other again. 
We were just having a good conversation. It was refreshing. We talked about a lot of stuff. We talked about the dog, Boomer. My wife is in love with Boomer. It was fun. They're cool with each other. All the coaches are all in. It was just a very good old time. It was just a lot of fun to be there and hang out with them, end quote. Beamers had many conversations with the Harbors throughout the process. This is final chance to see them in person before the dead period hit Sunday night. He did his best to make his message very clear to Nick Harbor, quote, just to let him know that he is in good hands, his father said, quote, that's the message I got from him, that no matter what, you are in good hands. We are going to take care of you. I asked him, I said, if I drop off my child to you, what happens? He told me what he's going to do. I will take care of your child for you. I said, okay, thank you, sir, end quote. So Beamer's done everything he can to position his program to have a shot with Harbor, made all the calls, sent all the text messages, made all the allowable visits. He even took staff members to Texas Tech last weekend to watch Harbor run in the Texas Tech relays. Now, according to Azuka Harbor, Beamer and his assistants were the only coaches from the schools Nick is considering to be in attendance for the track meet. Quote, it means a lot. Yes, most definitely. It tells the child... There's someone who cares about you, not only about football. They care just about you, just to come see you. It means a lot to fly all the way from South Carolina to Texas to come see him. That meant a lot to him. I appreciated that, end quote. As for the other two visits last night, Maryland and Miami, Azuka Harbor said they also went well. Maryland's the home team, he said, around the corner. They go watch basketball. He hangs out there sometimes. And he said with Maryland, it was just touching base with each other, uh, getting to know that they still have feelings for Nick. Miami, he said, second time he's met the coach. They met a couple of weeks ago when Nick was running in Virginia, spent some time there with him, and he just wanted to tell him that they are still interested in his son. The last step in the process for the Harbors comes this weekend. They're flying out tonight to Eugene for an official visit at Oregon. Obviously, the great track history at Oregon, major selling point. In fact, they've seen the track side of things at Oregon because when Harbor ran in a meet there a year or two ago, they got a chance to see it. Quote, we were only around the track area, so we never went around the campus to see what it's all about. We were just uh, with him and sitting in the bleachers. And then after that, we went back to the hotel. We've never uh, did anything beyond that, end quote. So once the Harbors return home, their plan is to discuss the five options and then come to a decision. The decision will be announced on February 1st signing day during a ceremony at a school, which is slated to start around noon. 2025 defensive tackle Elijah Griffin of Savannah plans to be at USC Saturday. And uh, the Gamecocks handed out uh, several new offers Many of these we touched on last night. Let me see if there's anybody else new in here that maybe I didn't touch on. 2025 defensive end Ja'Caleb Falk of Highland Home, Alabama, 6'3", 220. 2026 cornerback Nasir McCoy of Hapeville, Georgia. That's a new one. 2025 receiver Jameer Joseph of Montville, New Jersey. Some of the new offers for the Gamecocks. More players acknowledging plans to be at Clemson Saturday for their junior day. Defensive tackle Heaven Brown Schuler of Atlanta. Defensive end Darian Mayo of Olney, Maryland. 
Offensive tackle Jamison Riggs of Hiram, Georgia. Cornerback Charles Lester of Sarasota, Florida. Defensive back Ashton Hampton of Tallahassee. Also, Clemson offered defensive end Solomon Williams from Tampa. Clemson target running back David Eziomumi was offered by Wisconsin and West Virginia. LSU offered USC commitment tied in Michael Smith. Northwestern running back Turbo Richard offered by UConn and Georgia State. Georgia Tech offered Greenville receiver Mazio Bennett. Quarterback Riley Staten has transferred from Gray Collegiate to Greenville High. That's big for the Raiders. This guy can throw it. AC Flora tight end Jack Mosley committed to Lenore Ryan and Northwestern offensive lineman Marcus Macon committed to South Carolina State. That will do it on the recruiting front tonight. Oh, by the way, nothing to add to Trajan Jeffcoat's story today. Just nothing to add. So when there's something to add, we'll add it. But right now, as far as we know, nothing to add. When we come back, kind of step out of our lane, as you heard Mike and us discuss. Jim Corbett going to join us. He's keeping an eye on the Murdoch trial. Get his thoughts on what's happened so far after the break. Show your team pride wherever you go with Founders Federal Credit Union's Collegiate Debit Cards. Get your University of South Carolina and Clemson University debit cards at any Founders office or by calling 1-800-845-1614. Plus, our debit cards are digital wallet ready, so you can pay however you please. Not a member? Visit RelaxJoinFounders.com or one of our 37 convenient locations to see if you qualify for membership. Terms and conditions apply. Founders Federal Credit Union is federally insured by NCUA. Touchstone Energy Cooperative members save more, more on electricity, and members save more on insurance, groceries, healthcare, restaurants, travel, concerts, and sporting events through co-op connections. Touchstone Energy is an alliance of the member-owned electric cooperatives, and as a member, the power is yours. Experience the power of co-op membership with Touchstone Energy and find out how much you can save on electricity and a whole lot more at touchstoneenergy.com. Life, it has its ups and downs. Sometimes it's little things like hitting every red light or dropping your cell phone. Maybe it's the bills, rent, or pressure at work. But when it comes to the South Carolina Education Lottery, you should never feel like playing will solve everything. The lottery is a game. It's played for fun. So set a dollar amount. Expect not to win and make sure responsibilities, family, friends, and work come first. Visit playresponsiblysc.com. Join the Trailblaze Challenge, the endurance hike program where big hearts come together for big steps to create hope for local wish families through Make-A-Wish South Carolina. This spring, take part in a new journey on the Palmetto Trail. From sunrise on the highest peak in South Carolina to the coastal marshes of the low country, hikers of all levels can support critically ill children, enjoy and explore the outdoors, and build South Carolina pride and community through an all-inclusive hike experience. Visit sctrailblazechallenge.org to learn how to get started. That's sctrailblazechallenge.org. The story you're about to see is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. You know, here on Sports Talk, we spend 100% of our time, ordinarily, 
talking sports, taking our minds off the really important issues of the day in South Carolina and around the world. But sometimes the outside world does intrude. And you know, I thought the Murdoch case in Walterboro, I mean, that really has captured the attention of the nation. And of course, right here in South Carolina, capture the attention of everybody in the state. Everybody's following it. I mean, it's the OJ trial of our time here in South Carolina. So I thought that uh, from time to time, as often as he wants to, we'd ask Jim Corbett, great attorney here in Columbia, to uh, analyze things for us that are happening in the trial. He'll keep an eye on it, of course, as an attorney, somebody of interest, knowing a lot of people involved in the trial through his own legal work. And I thought he could share some insights with us on occasion, kind of make it uh, simple for those of us who don't know the law that well. So Jim joins us now for our first edition of this, and we thank you very much, sir. How are you? Good evening, Phil. I'm doing fine. Uh, sad that uh, this is going to draw so much attention to South Carolina, but if it does, um, you know, we need to, I guess, talk about it a little bit and make some sense of uh, of the process and the procedure. Let me ask you a question. That's a good point that you just kind of touched on. I mean, the entire nation is watching. I mean, is the state of South Carolina in the eyes of the nation also a bit on trial here? The attorneys, the jurors, the judge, as they look in, because this thing is being televised, you know, millions of people are watching every day because they love this stuff. In some way, is our own judicial system in the state kind of going to be on trial here? Well, I mean, people are going to watch and, and look and see, but I don't, I don't have any I don't have any fears that Judge Clifton Newman's going to do anything that will draw attention to the judiciary in a bad way. And and I think that the lawyers are seasoned. They'll have their sparring and they'll, they'll have their dust-ups, but it's basic stuff that, that really needs to happen. There have to be objections. The defense lawyer's job is to try to find any way to try to have the jury think that, well, I don't think this guy's guilty because, you know, this the standard is beyond a reasonable doubt, a doubt for whichever reason. So I don't think South Carolina's on trial in this case because it's a murder case, and that happens. The, the things that, that really draw attention to it are the, the, uh, the thought that this family was so powerful and knew so many people and was able to do so many things that they couldn't, you know, that they could get away with stuff. And so I think those financial crimes are really going to be the ones that, that if, it, if anything, puts South Carolina on trial, that does, especially the legal system. Did he get away with stuff? Um, this, is, this is the worst part. It's the saddest part. But it's not the part, I think, that's going to give disrepute to South Carolina. Yeah. And just to make it clear, so this is the murder trial for the murder of his wife and son, and there's still a trial to come later on about the monetary crimes, correct? Right, could be. He could he could enter a guilty pleas. Um, you know, his own lawyers have been quoted as saying that, you know, he knows he's going to have to do jail time at some point. And I don't, but it's not for the murder. They vehemently deny that he's guilty of the murder. So, um, you know, those are coming down the pike, and, and that evidence is apparently going to be part of the motive for, um, you know, what, what the, the prosecution is going to try and prove as to why this was done by Alex Murdoch. So they'll, they'll come into play, and, and the judge is going to have to rule, you know, what is specifically is allowed in, if anything, about his other financial crimes, because you probably heard that prior bad acts are not admissible to try to convict someone of this bad act. However, if it's part and parcel of a story, including motive, then that's something that the prosecution is going to want to introduce to say, why did he do this? So where are we now at this stage? I know jury selections over, opening arguments are over, uh, cross exam not cross examining, but ex examination of witnesses has started. Where are we here on this Thursday evening? 
Well, they go through the basics to begin with. And, and the first thing the prosecutor has to remember to do is make sure that they prove that the, the killings happen in the jurisdiction in which these guys, are being, this man's being tried. So um, they have to get the, the crime scenes out. All the things that we have seen and heard and think we know, you know, they have to do that to the jury. Establish that there was a murder. Establish that there were bodies. Establish that people died. Establish what was on the scene. And they did that. You know, from what I saw from the media accounts today, they did that with, uh, you know, the deputies who were the first to respond and, and what they found and what they saw. Um, they played the 911 uh, call by Alex Murdoch so that the uh, uh, the jury could hear that. They um, they played some body camera from the uh, the deputies. And um, I, I think I saw a report where somebody was stating that the, uh, the both sides, the, both sets of attorneys agreed to a redacted version of some other body camera video, which which kind of gives you an idea that the uh, the it was a horrific scene. I think I saw something that somebody was trying to say that the report that the, the pictures and they use, I think, an incorrect term. It looks like the pictures will not be available to the public, but they will be published to the jury. You know, all this evidence that they have has to be published to the jury. So they can physically take it back into their jury room to look over and review before they come to a verdict. So all the basics are coming in. There, there was a killing and, and what happened and what it looked like and who was there, who responded, and what Alex Murdoch said. And, and you know, there's been, you know, mentioned about he. one of the first things he said was supposedly that um, Paul had had this, this, you know, boat crashed, somebody died, and he was getting threats. And, you know, to try to show that his mind was, he might be setting something up. Or, you know, I think the, in the opening arguments, Harputlian, uh, Dick Harputlian said, you know, in those situations, you know, you're, you're pretty numb with things. You could say anything. So everybody's setting up for what they're going to be looking to argue and to present in, in later days. Um, there's been um, talk about the experts who may be there. And uh, one of the agreements apparently that the attorneys made was that the prosecution did not mention the blood spatter expert uh, in the opening statements. So that might be a precursor that, that, you know, something they don't know, they're not sure they're going to get into evidence. But the ballistic person from SLED is going to be able to testify according to the initial ruling by the judge. Now, when it, when it comes time for him to testify, the defense has to object at that time in front of the jury. And the judge could revisit that. May not. Um, there could be some other evidence brought to his attention. There could be something that happened in the trial. So those are a couple of things to look down the road. Are those experts going to be allowed to testify? Um, you know, what uh, the way it goes is if you proffer an expert, you ask them questions to show they're an expert. And then you, the defense side, in this case, the criminal defendants, um, defense lawyers can ask about the qualifications to be an expert. And then the judge rules, are they an expert or not? And then testifies judge could also say, I want to hear this testimony myself first before the jury does. Judge could say, nope, not going to hear it. But then the, the proponent of the expert can say, I want to break a proffer. So I get the testimony on the record for an appeals court to rule later on. Hey, they should have heard that. So that's one of the interesting uh, twists that might come up uh, among those two things, or it might be very rudimentary that they both get qualified. And that's, a, you know, grounds for appeal later on. You know, I don't want to treat this like a ball game or anything like that. I'm not trying to uh, diminish the importance of all this uh, whatsoever. Uh, but what I'd like to do with you at the end of our segment, which we're coming up on here, is just sort of every time we talk to you, <clears throat> just kind of get a feel from you based on what you've seen, read, heard, uh, on how it's going one way or the other. So to this point, prosecution, defense, and I know it's very, very early, but have you got, in your own opinion, your own professional opinion, a, a little bit of a feel about how it's going one way or the other? Well, that's an excellent question. 
because it points out that the prosecution is going and now all the defense is doing is cross-examining and trying to lay the groundwork for later on saying, see, they didn't prove their case. Um, the prosecution has to be way ahead at the end of their case if they want to win. Just like the defense attorney um, will have to uh, chip away at the case if they want to present evidence. But, you know, everything's a building block right now. People have to understand they really have to let the jury make the decision because there are people who are going to sit there and listen to all the testimony and review it and discuss it. I know there are people who are probably glued to their TV screens or their their computer screens watching every move of this. And I wonder, how do they make a living? But, you know, you got to give the jury a chance to, to evaluate everything. Just because you saw one witness doesn't mean you've seen the most important witness. So I think... It's a great question. You know, how is it going? As long as the prosecution is hitting their marks for what they have to prove, then they're doing what they're supposed to do to get a guilty verdict. The defense is trying to find a witness or a a fact or a group of witnesses, a group of facts, that they could say, look, here's a reason why you should doubt that this man did it. So I think at this point, it's the basics. Um, If the blood spatter expert and the ballistic expert both don't testify, then I think the prosecution may have some, some issues that they have to really deal with in order to get a, a guilty verdict. But if they get them both in, it's a lot easier, I think. Um, although the blood spatter evidence, who knows what it's going to be. Um, you know, there's still there's new things coming out all the time because that's what prosecutors should do. They should present the evidence to the jury and not to the media beforehand just because we want to know what's going to be there. It's all about presenting to the jury right now. Jim? Great stuff. Thank you for paying attention to this so closely and making it easy for us. We'll talk to you again soon. I don't know maybe if something happens tomorrow, tomorrow night, or sometime next week. We'll set it up, but we really appreciate it. I think this is going to be great for our listeners coming from you and just having a workman's uh, or you know a, a layman's uh, uh, approach to the technical aspect of something so um, you know so tough as this as this trial really do appreciate it thank you phil makes you really appreciate sports doesn't it yeah it does man you can hide behind things in the sports world can't run from things in the real <laughs> thank world thank you my man talk to you soon all right bye-bye thank you all right jim corbett now, i think this is going to be good i think this is going to be i know it's not what we do and uh you know only doing it because it's here in south carolina and you know thank goodness we don't have to have these kind of trials and issues like this like gathered national attention uh, every every day around here um but i thought this would be i thought this would be worthwhile for us to do so we will continue uh, with jim doing that in the meantime the uh pga tours at the farmers insurance open which actually began yesterday this is a wednesday through saturday deal and so your leader is sam Ryder at 12 under brendan Steele is nine under and Tano Goya is at seven under par. That's the top of the leaderboard. Then we've got, in terms of our uh, folks that we follow, Andrew Novak is five under. Red Hot John Rom is four under. Jason Day is at five under. Colin Morikawa is at five under. And Scott Brown is even after 69.75. Not making the cuts. Matthew Neesmith at plus one. Uh, Will Zalatoris plus one, Jonathan Bird plus one, Bill Haas at plus four, Ben Martin plus four, Bill McGirt, William McGirt plus five, and Carson Young plus six, 
Doc Redmond plus six, and Kyle Stanley plus ten. All failed to miss the cut. Pat? Well, just a story we're going to have to continue with tomorrow. Uh, Coach Wilkes, Steve Wilkes, who did not get the job with the Panthers, just something to keep an eye on. He is is still a part of a lawsuit for wrongful termination against the Cardinals back when he was a coach there. Mm. Well, the firm representing him has released a statement saying that they are investigating the Panthers, and it sounds like they may be seeking some kind of legal action against the Panthers. This is going to be – this might get ugly. Oh, it's never pretty when this happens. Halftime, James Madison is leading Coastal 47-37, and that will do it for tonight. Thanks for being with us. Have a great night. See you tomorrow. Thank you.